Hey everyone, you're listening to episode number four of the Elysium Project podcast. I'm your host, Brian Johnson. This episode was recorded July 6th, 2018. If you enjoy listening to our show, please consider becoming a patron at www.patreon.com slash Elysium Project Podcast. That's www.patreon.com slash Elysium Project Podcast. For only $4 a month, you'll get access to exclusive behind-the-scenes articles, audio, and videos. Of course, we're just starting out, but we'll be sure to continue adding content over the summer. Today, I'm speaking with Lotus Vu. Lotus was my Zen Buddhism teacher many years ago, and she joins me today to have a conversation about the Zen way of life. Lotus, it's been so long. (laughs) Hi, Brian. How are you? Yes, it has been very, very long. I'm doing very good. Yes, how are you? I'm fine. Thank you. Perfect. So yeah, just for the listeners and to fill uh, you in because it has been so long ago, it was, I, I remember we were at uh, a Vipassana meditation group. We and, were at the Regina Insight Meditation group. Yes, yes, exactly. And I recall having tea afterwards and I think it must have been a lot of talking about Eckhart Tolle and the power of now, because that was very influential to me at that time and still is. Um, And from there you kind of let me into the world of uh, Zen Buddhism. Yes, because um, uh, Eckhart Tolle uh, writes uh, uh, about actually the heart of Zen, uh, the heart of the Zen uh, teachings and the heart of Zen practice which is dealing with your mind and, and um, the non-association with the story that is, is uh, creating uh, the ego mm-hmm. in one's mind. And, and so I've encountered Eckhart Tolle's work in 2004. Um, I've been practicing Zen ever since I was 15 years old. So it's been almost 30 years now. Wow. You started Zen in... Um... Is it, am I correct in saying Vietnam? Yes, uh, yeah. I, I met my teacher. Uh, my family was, uh, my mother was very devoted Buddhist. Um, she followed the traditional um, uh, you know, Buddhism that uh, most Vietnamese people follow, which is a pure land Buddhism. It's more like a form of worship and religious um, uh, worship uh, shipping uh, type of Buddhism. Uh, so I met my teacher uh, when I was five because uh, he lived at a temple uh, close to my house where my mother took me to attend almost every day uh, to do the evening chanting. And, uh, and so when I met him, I was quite a young child. So I was just, just going to, with my mother to, a chant, to attend the, the uh, chant at night at the temple. Uh, over the years, uh, I, I've learned to... Got, to, to know him, and he was a young monk at that time. I think he was in like his late 20s. And uh, my mother was a patron to that temple. She donated money there, and she attended there, and she was a patron to many temples. She was a very devout Buddhist. Uh, and I came to know many monks uh, from different traditions uh, that practice. And in Vietnam, the practice is very different from uh, the practice that uh, many Western Zen Buddhism uh, comes to know from the traditions of Japanese Zen mm. and Korean Zen. So Vietnamese uh, practice a culture of uh, economical Buddhism. So every, every, all traditions are, are 
encompassed in, in, in the temple, which mostly practiced pure land uh, for the laity. And Zen is usually only practiced for, for the, uh, uh, the, um, uh, the priesthood. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's usually not practiced in the laity. Uh, uh, but uh, I, so I met my teacher there and I, I became a student before I left. Uh, I left uh, around when I was nine years old and I came to Canada and, mm. and settled into uh, Toronto. So I grew up in Toronto where I continued to attend temples with my family. For, for about 10 years, uh, and I was a part of the, what you call the Buddhist scout uh, group. Uh, it's, it's like a, a, a scout tr- structure for, for kids and teenagers, but uh, it's in a, in, a, in a Buddhist setting in the temple. Hmm. So the organization is, is uh, nationwide, uh, taking place, uh, having their activities in, in local temples uh, across Canada. So I, I was trained in the Dharma, my teacher sent with my family about uh, two, two uh, cases of books, about 300 books and recordings, lecture recordings <laughs> from the university, the Buddhist university in Vietnam, uh, probably worth about, uh, you know, uh, 7,000 hours of rec- lecture recording from the university. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> yes. And over at I, the years, I, uh, when I came to learn Buddhism, when I came to Canada, I was a real, pretty shy kid. So I ended up reading and, and listening to all of that. <laughs> mm. And then uh, I also started practicing Zen seriously when I was about 15 years old <clears throat> after trying the other tradition and it didn't really gel with me. <laughs> right. <laughs> and what, what's this school of Zen that you are trained in? My school of Zen that I train in is called Rinzai Zen, or from China, mm-hmm. it's, it's called Linji Zen, uh, which came from Master Linji. Uh, it it uh, has its roots uh, dating back to the Bodhidharma, who came to China uh, and, and touted as uh, the first patriarch of Zen in China. So Rinzai Zen is... Um, is, is a very esoteric form of Zen practice. It's, uh, it's, it's usually done transmission between uh, a teacher to students in an unbroken lineage. Mm. Uh, so uh, it, it's, it's got its uh, roots and tradition. And it came to Vietnam about uh, the 17th century. And um, my teacher uh, is uh, the 30, 30, um, uh, my teacher makes up the uh, 42nd trad- uh, generation of Rinzai Zen, so I am the 43rd generation. Okay. So what Rinzai Zen does is that it practices uh, a koan, which is a, a question without answers. Uh, the method is very scientific. <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> it's that the, the basis of Rinzai Zen is to believe nothing and discover everything for yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> So that gelled really well with me because, uh, you know, learning, uh, growing up in, in, in Canada, um, having a Western education, I, I became very, very, uh, uh, how do I say, critical. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and very much a skeptic. So when I was uh, taught that, you know, in different traditions that this is the way it works and, you know, you should believe in things i never i never uh <laughs> kind of took on well with that <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah 
that's one of the things that I think, particularly in Zen Buddhism, is it really it's never asking any anyone to believe anything. At least that was my experience. It's very much.、Um, Uh, as you said, the nothing about nothingness and emptiness, and being able to be aware of that. Well,、um, it's basically、uh, now that I study psychology, I come to understand a lot of the, ter- the, the, the different views and terminologies that、uh, Western psychology have approached it.、Uh, be, you see,、uh, for me, Zen Buddhism is something that、uh, is very scientific. Uh, mm-hmm. Practice the method of what you call introspection, so it, it's practice the method of deep、uh, observation of oneself and one's、uh, inner reality、uh, to experience one's own consciousness,、um, and so it goes into the deeper,、uh, deeper layers of the unconscious as well as as、uh, the layers that normal people are not aware of because they're too busy looking outside of themselves rather than、mm-hmm. inside. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the、uh, the Zen practice as well is,、um, at least again in my experience, is very much. It's very focused on meditation as a way to awaken. Whereas some of the other forms of Buddhism that I've experienced are more about maybe the tradition. Whereas Zen is really kind of I felt stripping it to its core. Yes, Zen tradition is, especially Rinzai Zen, is a very, very, very rigorous and and very demanding if you take it on seriously.、Mm-hmm. Uh, because basically, when you start out, uh, uh, the thing that you do is you you sit and refine your ability to observe, your、uh, refine your ability for attention. Because once we don't have adequate attention, we can't observe. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs>、right? And observe, observation of one's own inner reality、uh, is very scary for a lot of people. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> also, the reason why meditation is so much a important, vital part of the Zen practice is that、um, you know, like a science scientist, you you need to, to be able to.、Uh, Be in a lab in 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 a situation where you have con- controlled elements, right?、Uh, so that、uh, other elements doesn't affect the observation of whatever you want to observe.、Mm-hmm. So、yeah. what the, what what, Rin, what the Zen practice is about is is the same, which is when you sit down,、uh, when you're quiet, you're not talking, when your body is stilled. Uh, when your senses are stilled and your surrounding is somewhat uh, quiet, uh, then you you basically are able to calm down all the external、uh, stimuli that is coming in、uh, that affects your inner inner reality, so that you you can observe it、mm-hmm. and and study it. And what Zen is about is observing it, discovering it, instead of assuming. What is going on inside? We approach it from the perspective of find out for yourself,、mm-hmm. <laughs> experiencing it for yourself,、mm. and and don't let anybody anyone tell you what it is. And people find this very perplexing because they come to a, a method of a study or some sort of study, they expect to be thrown a lot of theories, they expect to be thrown a lot of,、uh, you know. Different、uh, theories and and things they're not supposed to learn. Whereas when you come to Zen and you sit down <laughs> and you meditate, 
Mm-hmm. The first thing you, 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 you get told is, well, count your breath. Well, that's really boring. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right? Well, after you count your breath and, and you're good at counting your breath and you're, you're able to focus and have that attention and that ability to observe, and then you, you, sit, in, you sit in Shikantaza, which is just observe. Mm-hmm. People said, "Well, observe what?" <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a lot of things going on inside of you that you don't know. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and we all assume to know, but we really don't. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Well, I love what you touched on earlier. You said it's about this is about not knowing and, and learning. Um, and as well, I think if I remember how this conversation began about uh, nine years ago when I met you, it was talking about how I, I've been through quite a bit of mental health challenges and through that and through that suffering um, and where I relate to Eckhart Tolle is I've, it, it allowed kind of a disconnect in, in my ego and being able to see that I'm not my story because I'm, I'm not, th- those are thoughts, right? Yes. Uh, see, in, in, in the Buddhist teaching, the Buddha has, has found this out for himself. Mm-hmm. So he, he didn't learn it from anybody. He went inside of himself and, and he made this very scientific observations of his own inner reality. And, and then he, ca- he came up with you know, a conclusion and he said, you know what, don't listen to what I said. <laughs> Go and replicate the study yourself, which is, you know, sit observe and and see what i was saying it was true or not (laughs) yeah so what he came up with is that we inherently don't have an ego we don't have a self we believe that we have one but we don't yeah (laughs) and and that uh what we define as the ego is actually what he calls the five aggregates or the five heaps of things that come and go in our inner reality uh which is uh feelings thoughts sensations, uh, perceptions, and personal consciousness. And these five heaps, he calls the five aggregates, they're constantly in a state of flux uh, within our, our inner awareness, inner reality, uh, and how we interact with the world, except that we identify with these five things and we, we keep thinking that they are us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so when you have a feeling, you, you, you said, oh, I, you know, I am I'm love, I feel love, or... or or when you have an a- angry feeling, you said, I am angry, you know, I'm angry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you identify with all these feelings. And when you have these, these um, sensations, you identify with the sensation of pain or you identify with the sensation of pleasure. And you lose completely uh, the, the, the fact that these things come and go. They're visitors. They're not uh, really the owner of the house. <laughs> okay? That goes the same with perception too. And this is a little more subtle. But, uh, you know, an advanced meditator who, who probably, uh, if they've embarked on, on a serious practice uh, for a number of years, they're able to, to, to notice how perceptions are formed within, within their own inner reality. And it, it becomes really interesting. Um, and, and when it comes to, to uh, personal consciousness, well, we all assume that when we're walking around, uh, when 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 we're you know coming into contact with the world, that our consciousness is localized. 
is localized mm-hmm. in this body, it's localized in this brain, like most neuroscientists has thought for, for, for many, many years. And that, that kind of theory is starting to waver a little bit because the new studies in neuroscience are starting to break out from that. So personal, everybody believes that we, 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 our consciousness is, is restricted to the, the, the personal. Uh, consciousness in this localized area, except it's not. Uh, for many advanced Zen practitioners and many Buddhist meditators in, in uh, Buddhism or and many other different traditions like the Hindu, that they come to experience these things and they were like, wow, it's not localized. <laughs> we, mm-hmm. are, we are just the machinery, the wiring that helps this, this vast non-localized reality manifest itself and experience itself. Absolutely. No, the research is really fascinating in that that area of consciousness existing outside of the the brain. Um, I'm wondering what your thoughts are on finding that similar state that you just described through through suffering. Because as I said, that was the case for myself. I really disconnected to the story that I was carrying around of who who Brian is and allowed myself to sort of step back from that and that's kind of how I have experienced a lot of those states in my life well um you see uh, my my background is I, I'm I grew up in Vietnam and I was born after the war mm-hmm. and I've witnessed a, a lot of the the uh, the effects of the war uh while I, as I was growing up uh, mm-hmm. the disabled people the poverty um, all the ravages of war that's still left behind. My parents grew up and, and basically lived 30 years of their lives in the war, in the Vietnam War, which is very devastating. Mm-hmm. And they've gone through a lot of trauma. So a lot of people from Vietnam who has lived through the war, as I was, you know, now what, what we come to know as, as uh, PTSD, uh, and a lot of that trauma is trapped uh, within their psyche and their body because it hasn't been resolved. Uh, they've been so stuck in their survival mode. And so, so a lot of that suffering is passed on to the next generation because they're unable to uh, work through these things. And your average human being is not capable of working through these things by themselves without help. suffering is so much a part of a part of uh, the reality of being human uh that 2500 years ago the buddha found that to be the 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 truth you know it it was his first noble truth which is suffering (laughs) being being alive is 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 uh it's been you know suffering and not to really have a satisfaction to life uh so we're never content we're we have this un they're lying uh, condition called, uh, you know, unsatisfactory. We're, <laughs> we're always seeking. We're always looking to fulfill this thirst that we have. And the more we try to fulfill it, the more thirst we have. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so this desire, this wanting, this thirst is unending. And the Buddha calls that suffering. Um, and, and so, and you, and then you pile on top of that, all the other conditionings. <laughs> that has ever occur uh, in human history, uh, which is war, you know, uh, violence on each other, psycho- psychological violence, physical violence, uh, you know, all the mm-hmm. things that human being has done to each other because they were suffering and they perpetuate that on, on people around them as well. So in a way, 
we're passing on suffering from one generation to another unbeknown to each other. Uh, and, and the Buddha has found this to be the reality of human beings. So when I grew up, coming out from the war, like many people from the Jewish community, you know, when you come out of a war and, and, and from such trauma, uh, there's an immense amount of suffering that's passed mm -hmm. on from the parents to, to the child. Uh, and, and so when it's so recent, you know, you can experience it. And when I was growing up, the Vietnamese community in Toronto was, was very much going through the suffering, going through, you know, the anger of what happened, going through, uh, you know, uh, survival mode. Most people were in survival mode because that's all they knew, uh, going through uh, the Vietnam War and, and, and just scraping to survive and not get shot and bombed. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so... So there was a tremendous amount of suffering. Although my parents, they love, they love us very much. They love me very much and my, my family very much. But they couldn't help themselves because they were walking traumas and they were passing that on to, <laughs> to the kids. Yeah. Because <laughs> they didn't have the, 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 any other tools. So that was my experience growing up. So when I was a teenager, I experienced depression. Mm -hmm. um, and... From that, I realized that the first noble truth, life is suffering, uh, and that uh, it is the internal reality that, that really dictates how we view the world. Uh, now, we have a saying in Vietnamese from a, a very famous uh, Vietnamese poet, Nguyen, Nguyen Yu. He said, uh, you know, uh, he said that the outside, okay, is always sad. Because when the human being is sad, the outside cannot be happy. <laughs> <laughs> so when I experienced depression as a teenager, I, I come to realize that reality. And at that point, I've had read a lot of books on Buddhism that I realized, wait a minute, this is true. <laughs> it's not just talk. <laughs> yeah. And that's when I started to practice then. And, and when I practiced that, I realized that, uh, you know, uh, the reality is all this suffering is coming from the mind, mm -hmm. the conditioning of the mind. And the conditioning of the mind is all these narrative that's going on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? uh, so when you said you have, you have this experience of, of disconnecting from this narrative uh, that uh, alleviated your suffering, well, that's the first step. That's right. the first, first step. In Buddhism, uh, especially in Rinzai Zen, we call that a Kensho, which is awakening. Uh, it is when you realize that you are more than this conditioning. You are more than this body. You are more than this story that you tell yourself in your head, that this, your thoughts are telling yourself. You are so much more than that. You are this, I don't know, it, it's hard to define <laughs> because <laughs> there's no words for it. Uh, so when you have that one moment, that I would say one second glimpse of that, mm -hmm. uh, that we call it awakening, the kensho, which is something to be, uh, that all Zen students, uh, especially in Rinzai Zen, is working towards experiencing. But once you experience that and everybody goes, oh, okay, I'm awake now. Hey, I am everything. <laughs> I'm one yeah. with everything. And then, you know, oh gosh, I'm... I know this that's better than everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Where everybody else is asleep. Well, guess what? As you are thinking that, 
you are already a slave. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> because what happens is if you, you only experience one second of it, that is not your living reality. Mm-hmm. You are awake, awake once that moment, but not all the other moments after. So, and then, you know, when somebody wakes up and comes to the teacher and goes, oh, great, I'm awake. <laughs> you know what the teacher says? Yes, what? yeah, it's okay. Good, keep going. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. <laughs> because what essentially is happening is your ego just stepped back in. And so unless every one of your moments is that awakening moment, is experienced like that awakening moment, as that awakening moment, you are not awake. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's why it's so important to, for us all to have a practice, to always be meditating and, and be mindful like that. <laughs> and uh, this is why there is such an emphasis in Zen about uh, having a spiritual teacher and following that spiritual teacher and, and, and uh, you know, having that guidance for the whole mm-hmm. journey. Because you, you see, I was talking with some of my students uh, and, and uh, some of them has been with me for, for eight, nine years, almost 10 years now. And I, I tell them, I said, there is no self-authorizing Zen master. Ever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It is a, a continuing unbroken lineage that dates back to the Bodhidharma, which one Zen master authorizes another. Why? Well, when you think about it, it's very simple. How many years does it take you to get a PhD? Yeah, exactly. Years. <laughs> I mean, you basically have 12 years of education, and yeah. then you got four years of you know, undergraduate, and then you have about six to seven years of graduate school, right? Yeah, where you have the real apprenticeship training. And so when a person graduates with a PhD, basically they are qualified to be themselves, uh, <laughs> a, a professional. Then uh, you can say, well, they're a master at what they do, that one area that they, they devote all their time in. Well, and then, you know, pe- people looked at it. A lot of Westerners come to the East and... <laughs> They'll study for a number of years, maybe three, four, five years. (laughs) And then they'll come back and they'll start teaching. (laughs) And that doesn't work because that's not, you've hardly, I'm sorry to say, but you hardly graduated, you know, grade school or high school. Yeah. (laughs) So, I mean, I I was with my teacher for, for quite a number of years. Uh, it wasn't until I was 32 years old. I mean, I started practicing as when I was uh, 15. Mm-hmm. I was a student when I was nine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I, 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 I had my, you know, immense Kensho breakthrough when I was 28. And, you know, it wasn't until thir- th- I was 32, 33 years old that he, he was asking me to teach. Uh-huh. And, and even after that, I knew I, I'm on training wheels. <laughs> <laughs> I kept my relationship with him. We have a thirty-three, more than thirty-three years relationship now. Oh, wow! Wow, that's amazing. 
Well, that's, um, yeah, thank you for making me laugh, Harry. I love yeah. everything that you said and very much reminds me of back in Regina. We used to meditate, I used to meditate quite a lot with you. And I remember often we would do um, walking meditation as well, it was a big part of what you did. Yes. Uh, because what you experience on the cushion, say, for example, you probably have some of these experiences, right? Um, people have all these very wonderful, peaceful, tranquil experience. We call it uh, altered, altered states mm-hmm. on the cushion. Yes. And then when they're, not, when they're off the cushion, it doesn't happen. They're yeah. They're back to egoic <laughs> reality, right? Uh-huh. When you, you, they have the regular stress, the regular suffering, the regular you know, internal conflict inside. Yeah. And what Zen does is that once you, you, you experience this on the cushion, you have to practice to gradually take that off the cushion uh-huh. and, and experience that in everyday life. Whether you're doing something, whether you're talking with somebody, whether you're doing paperwork, which is one of the difficult ones to, to practice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So basically, Zen is not a practice where you sit on the cushion. Eventually, it takes over your life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> then is <it's> life. <laughs> okay. Perfect. So there's, there's a book called Altered, uh, Altered Traits uh, by Dr. Uh, Goldman and uh, Davison. And they're neuroscientists, researcher in, in, the, in uh, the U.S. And what they've done is they, they, they got together all these uh, meditation masters from the Himalayas, uh, for these uh, yogis from uh, the Tibetan tradition, uh, the Dolchen tradition, which is very similar to Zen tradition. And these masters, meditators, have been in the mountains for 10 years, maybe 20 years. They'll have 40,000 hours, hours of meditation experience. Wow. And they measure these people to compare these with the average meditator <laughs> who does, you know, maybe an hour a day or, or the people who did meditate. And, and what they found is that these people, their baseline of, of reality experience, the, that they had these uh, measurements for these baseline experience, their baseline experience is completely different from other people. Mm-hmm. Yes. Basically, they're, they have what you call altered traits, not just altered states. Those altered traits, those altered state became altered state, a trait. Mm-hmm. So it's a continuing experience like that, off the cushion, what they experience on the cushion. Amazing. Um, so this is actually the Zen practice. And this is why it takes so long. <laughs> it takes so many years to, to perfect it and, and, and it's always continually unfolding. Uh, it's, it's, it's a, uh, I would say it's a skill mm-hmm. that you learn and you develop over the years and it's a very necessary skill for, for, for being fully alive, for being fully human. And, and so, uh, you know, science has just, started to come to, 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 to understand this, to study this phenomenon that has been going on for thousands of years in the East. <laughs> yeah, perfect. It's a very interesting time. And uh, thank you so much for joining me today, Harriet, or Lotus. I'm sorry, I almost used your other name there. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, I'm sure we'll have you on again, and you've really inspired me to look into a more local Zen practice since we no longer live in the same city. So 
Thanks oh, well, a there's, a, there's a Zen group in every single city. Yeah. Uh, I, I, would, I would recommend that you find a Sangha there. Absolutely. Uh, and practice with them and, and, and take your practice to the next step. Perfect. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> well, thanks again, Lotus. And uh, yeah, we'll talk to you soon. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye.